We just stepped on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Tide Run Sports Podcast. I'm your host, David Thay, joined by my Dog Nation brothers, who are now two-time, two-time, two-time national champions. Guys, how's it feel? Man, it, it feels truly incredible. I mean, like the actual definition of the word incredible, like not able to be believed that we <laughs> have just won back-to-back national championships. Can we talk about Stetson yet, or is it too soon? Oh, we're, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, obviously it's great. It was also great to have a title game that wasn't Zero stressful. stress. Zero you know, that's stress. one of the things that I said to somebody before. I was like, man, it would be great if this was a game where the whole second half is just a party where you're like yep. texting all your buddies yep. about how great this is, not stressed out at all, especially because we're all old with little kids games yeah. that end at midnight yeah. and yes. they're like we're stressful yes. you're like amped up and you're like i don't want to be going to bed at like 2 30 in the morning on a monday you know getting up at six for work yeah so it, this was way better so i expected this when we got the big lead i expected the second half to be kind of like game six of the astros world series where you knew we were one but you were just like but but the atlanta sports fan in me just is leaving that much doubt, even though it's was that game where we have like nine to one in that game. And there's just that little bit of the Atlanta sports fan. He's like, well, what, you, you just never know. And then finally, when there's like two outs tonight, I was like, wait a minute, like, we're going to do this. I kind of thought the second half was going to be like that, where we'd be up 34 seven. They'd score here or there. They would eventually get it to like 41, 17, be like, okay, well, you know, we're going to win, but we can't just fart around. Nah, Kirby Smart had the mantra, leave no doubt. And, I mean, we committed a hate crime on TCU. I don't know what else to call it. <laughs> so, uh, David, you had the other question. When did you know it was over? And I'll read <laughs> the possible answers that I wrote down, starting with the latest point in time back to the earliest. So, 38-7, the halftime score. Yeah. That game yeah. is over. Yeah, There's no over. reasonable answer later than that, right? Yeah. Um. 31-7, which is the score shortly before the half. Right. Also a pretty, yeah, that thing's over. I, I think there's a case for 24-7. to 7. At that point, you don't know that it's guaranteed a blowout, but I think right. there was a feeling and you could know, hey, this thing's kind of already over. You're up three scores. Your offense has not been stopped a single drive. We have seen multiple other games this year against pretty decent teams. Where, hey, when you're throwing the whole kitchen sink out there and you're humming, you score every single drive. Yep. So there was a yep. chance already at 24 or 7 that it was over. Um, and then the sort of outside puncher's chance shot of an answer is uh, when Holly Rowe asked Kirby Smart what the plan was before the game. And he said aggression. And it's like, yep. oh, this game might be over. Like, this is over, over. There is no chance here. Jay. You know, it, um, I don't know which broadcasts y'all watched since on these national championship games. ESPN now has like 12 different uh, broadcast feeds. That you can... RIP the coaches like room, whatever one. They didn't. <laughs> right, right. Uh, that was my favorite. Um, that was so, a good one. That was a good uh, one. Fowler and Herb Street had this exact conversation. I think like sometime in the second half. They did. Herb Street, yes. Herb Street asked Fowler, when did you think it was over? And I think the reason he asked was because Herb Street – I think thought it was over at like 17 to seven. Like, That's what he said. Like, yeah. <laughs> and like said. at 17 to seven, Herb Street said, yeah, I looked over at you, Chris, with kind of a look like, oh boy, is this going to, and I think he wanted to know like from his partner, like, hey, what about you? Like, did yeah. you think the same thing? And Fowler was more like mid-second quarter or something. I think yeah, is kind of what he said. He said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but certainly you could tell from early on that they were not going to be able to stop our offense in any yes. way, shape or form. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, like 17 to seven, definitely not. I mean, mathematically it's not over, but mm-hmm. as soon as like 24 to seven, it already felt like, uh, I don't know how they're going to turn the momentum. Uh, yeah. But really much like uh, the Florida game season last season, uh, that pick before halftime mm-hmm. was when it was like, okay, this this is definitely like this is already. <laughs> this is like su- double secret probation over. <laughs> right. 
And, and so, like, I told I looked at, I looked at Abby, you know, when we got the pick before halftime and scored. And I said, yeah, Abby, this game's over. And, and the funny thing is, I say that because I, being the pessimist, not well, not the pessimist, but I, being a realist, I said, hey, when we went out and scored and scored again to go up ten, and I was ten nothing. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Nothing. I said, watch out. TCU likes to do this. They lay on the ropes and they hit you with body blows. And immediately they came down and hit the touchdown off to the blown coverage where we couldn't cover a scissors route, which is like something that's a day one route you cover in zone. But anyways, we couldn't cover a scissors route. They come down and score. And I was like, here we go. They're, they might actually give us a game. To which we proceeded to score four more times in the half without them even coming close to scoring. And the last one, when dug in through that that awful last pick, I was just like, yeah, this is done. And any chance they had, when he misses Johnson for what's going to be a touchdown, it's going to be an 80-yard touchdown, like, you're just like, woof. It is just not his night. Mm-hmm. And and he was kind of dodging uh, Dumas Johnson, I think that was kind of grabbing at but, his feet. And- but he had to be excellent, Max Duggan, for them to have any hope. And not mm-hmm. only was he not excellent, that was one of his worst games of the year. And, yeah. you know, we talked on the preview some about him as a quarterback and sort of his athletic profile that's basically Caleb Williams. But yeah. what he's what he's not is he doesn't maintain that same level. Of, I don't, he doesn't keep that same level of accuracy throwing the ball when he's, he's moving, moving around yeah, the way true. that Caleb Williams does. That's so true. that's a throw where Caleb Williams jumps away from a guy at his feet and slings a sidearm ball mm-hmm. and completes that down the field. Yeah. And everybody loses their mind. And Duggan instead, I don't miss the guy by 15 yards. Yeah. And in some ways, we won so big that I almost feel like, I mean, even as a Georgia fan who was obviously elated with the result and enjoyed watching every second of it, I almost feel like we're getting too much credit for how good we are because of that result. Like, like, like <laughs> Kirby done had- poisoned you. truly yeah that's that's truly what it sounds like because i mean if if we had won the national championship gone undefeated you know back to back all of that but we had beaten tcu like 38 to 24 Mm -hmm. um i think it would have been more what people expected i've just seen so much i mean like national media right just talking about you know 65 to 7 just just truly in awe of what we did that almost it's really even sort of boosted the dynasty talk. I feel like it's, Mm -hmm. it's even, it's, it's, it's had people put us a little bit ahead of schedule. Like today, I mean, he was being funny, but Reese Davis on a podcast, somebody asked him like, Hey, what, what are your, what's your prediction for the four playoff teams next year? Oh yeah. I heard this. (laughs) And, and he said, I mean, as a joke, but he said it, he was like, uh, number one, Georgia, Number two, Georgia second string. Number three, Georgia <laughs> scout team. Number four, Georgia's transfer reporter. Like that's what it is. So like that's the perception now. And I think part of that is sixty-five to seven. It it was just yeah. it was that astounding. Well, I mean, yeah, it's an all-time biggest margin of victory in a bowl game ever. ever. It was the second largest win ever over a top five team. So obviously, it's the biggest win ever over the number two team. Second biggest ever over number five. The time that the only one that was bigger is like a 1940s World War II Navy team beat somebody by like one more point. But like this is World War II Navy where like literally every able body American was uh, there and you know Just- at war or playing for Army and Navy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and go look back at the Alabama, Texas or Alabama, Notre Dame title games that we think of as just absolute beatings and then look at 65-7 and realize those are totally different stratospheres. And frankly, I mean, not not to do this, but I will do this. Uh, We missed an extra point and the touchdown, David, as you said, was like a mistake we could play a whole season and not make. Yeah. Uh, It should have been 66 to nothing. (laughs) Like that really should have been the score. <laughs> I'll say this: Duggan probably hits that throw in and games where in most games where he's not just out of his brain. The one to Quentin to Johnson. Johnson, yeah. So I'll give them that. But sure, I mean, and I asked this question: What happened to TCU? 
a few things. First of all, they came out wide-eyed and shell-shocked. I mean, like, the very first play of the game, half their team jumps off sides. And I immediately was like, oh, my gosh. They like, they look, like, amped up, like, but not in a good way. Like, nervous, anxious, antsy. And you heard uh, Sonny Dyke say it at halftime. He's like, we pissed on our leg in the first half. That's basically a summary of what he said. He's like – Basically what he said, yeah. That's basically what he said. He said, we've misaligned to multiple plays. I think I texted you guys about one of them, which we'll get to in a second. But, like, that was not the TCU team that we've seen at their best or their worst all year. TCU is not 58 points worse than Georgia. They're not. Yeah, They're probably on any given day three touchdowns worse than Georgia. They're not – that. there's not that big of a gap between them and Georgia. But you got Georgia playing their best game of the year, almost a perfect game, combined with TCU playing absolutely horrendous. And we got the Oregon and USC game again, except Georgia just didn't let off the gas. Because you think about this. Remember, we scored in every possession in the Oregon game until we kneeled the ball down. Isn't that right? Yeah. So you think about this. What happened if they were, if we had decided to keep trying to throw the ball and score in the end of the Oregon game or the South Carolina game? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. This is or, what you would have gotten. Well, And you look at the Tennessee game. Like, look at the first half of the Tennessee game. Oh, you yeah. know, we with very 20, much with just, 21 at halftime. Uh, was it 24 7 and a half or 24 at halftime? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we just kind of sat on it, especially when the weather started getting bad. And, you know, of course, the the overly online Tennessee fan was like, oh, well, if it hadn't been raining, you know, it would have been closer. We could have come back. And if it hadn't been raining, we'd have beat you by 40. I mean, we might have still shut it down because. At that point in the season, it's a win your game and move on approach, especially in conference play. You know, we were yeah. we were playing to be undefeated. We weren't playing for style points at that point. Um, last night, there's you got no reason to save plays. You know, you just Mm-mm. put it all out there. So um, we didn't do Kansas City though. We didn't do what they did to the, the Vegas Raiders. <laughs> that was dirty. <laughs> yeah, the spinning huddle. Spinning um, huddle. There's a reason that people don't heavily weight just the recent games when making like power rankings and doing predictions and, you know, people like Vegas, people trying to put money on the line. You know, a lot of times people are like, oh, well, you know, they haven't played that well lately. They're not that good. Or people are like, oh, the Oregon game, the South Carolina game, those games don't count. That was like forever ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it was very much the same team. 100% mm-hmm. the same team. Yep. So, yeah. Um. You talked about what went wrong with TCU. I thought that offensively, they called a bad game. And I am not Mr. Like, oh, it's the play calling's fault. The blame the offensive coordinator that, you know, I think usually most teams and most guys are fine at calling plays. And usually it's more about the Jimmys and Joes than the play calls. I thought they had some bad mistakes and it was glaring because they were losing so badly. But was it, I don't know, two or three times, at least in the first half, where you had a wide receiver screen on second and long, and it's like second and 14, and they're like, oh, just throw a wide receiver screen, which went for half a yard. But have y'all not watched their team? Like, that play, we are going to defend just fine. You are not going to chunk off 12 yards on second and 14 on a wide receiver screen. We eat that up, you know? They weren't even the only time we had troubles with wide receiver screen was the Kent State ones with mm. the super wide splits, similar to how yeah. Tennessee runs. Yeah. And they got a little bit off on like one step, one angle, bust big play. And then that was corrected by the time we played Tennessee. Yeah. And look, I mean, you can watch tape of us every game this year. Like people throw wide receiver screens. I'm like, sweet, just wasted them. down. Yeah. This is yeah. great. That's Love like it. A run play against us. Yeah. And, and they were calling that early in the game where there was still like, these were high leverage play calls where you're trying to still be in the game or you are still in the game when it's like a one score game or a 10 point game. So there's some of that where I was just like, man, what are they doing? So. Yeah. You know, to your point about them sort of looking overwhelmed, that to me really jumped out, especially as we're saying when their offense was on the field and it was our defense and the success of guys that we have, I mean, that are true freshmen, mm-hmm. right? Like that you would think, you know, they might have struggled with the spotlight or with the big stage or like against, you know, what might be not a superior talented offensive line from TCU, but like big and experienced, right? But you got Bear Alexander and Michael Williams and Jalen Walker 
I mean, just waltzing into the backfield. And I mean, truly, it was uh-huh. like, like, who are they like playing against tonight? I mean, it, it really didn't look like them at all. I mean, even switch the other side of the field at the end of the game against a completely defeated TCU team. Yeah. You know, Branson Robinson, like oh. just just galloping around the field. And it was like, man, even I mean, <laughs> Therese Davis's point <laughs> about our scout team. I mean, truly, like even our true freshmen, uh, they just looked so much more prepared for that moment than TCU did. I, it's it's hard to explain mm-hmm. what happened to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, at this point in the season, a lot of these true freshmen are true freshmen in name only, right? right. They're right. they're still young players, but at this point, they've played a good bit of college football, and you notice that all of those guys were dudes that were dudes out of high school and were already built like college players coming right. out of high school, right? So they didn't have to put on fifty pounds. So they've been getting actual snaps throughout the season. There's a reason we rotate a lot of people. Um, it's been getting a lot of pub lately, nothing new, but just a lot of pub lately. How much they hit in practice they during hit, the week. They hit like on Tuesday of the game week, the national championship week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's insane. Um, you know, there's a reason why when we get to the middle or towards the end of the season, it feels like everybody in our team is just a little bit more dinged up than average. Like we have we ever had a season where it's like, oh wow, we were just so healthy that year since Kirby got here? No, absolutely not. Because those boys are banging at practice. But it, it also means that you rotate in a lot of guys all the time. So, like you're saying, those guys like Bear and Jalen Walker, they've been getting snaps for right. you know, at least half the season they were getting meaningful snaps once they got into it. But and Jonathan, to your point earlier, where it's like, man, it feels like we're getting a whole lot of credit. Some of the stuff about like, look at all these sacks from these freshmen is like that was very game script dependent a little bit. Right. Because that was like mm-hmm. they're having to drop back every single play in the second half. Yes, and yes. we know it and they can just pin ears and get back. Yeah. And those guys are play- super talented and it's going to be fun watching them. But yeah, it, that helps. Yeah, I mean, you're not having to play gap responsibilities. It's like, hey, I don't have to say my gap for power. Or I don't have to squeeze on inside. Like, it, yeah. But what's interesting to me is we sat here almost a year ago and said, uh, Bear Alexander, he'll play as a freshman. Uh, Marvin Jones Jr., he'll play as a freshman. Michael Williams, he'll play as a freshman. And we all said Michael Williams would play a lot as a freshman. Mm-hmm. We were right. We said Branson Robinson would play as a freshman. We were right. Not as much as I thought. I think I predicted he'd probably uh, supplant one of the guys and be the third back, probably Dejon Edwards. And I was wrong. Dejon Edwards was phenomenal this year. So I got that wrong. Yeah. Edwards is, yeah. Edwards, you know, just good football. Yeah. You know, since, you know, Kirby's been here, there's very much been the thing where when we take somebody who is not a super highly rated recruit, it is somebody that is actually a good football player. Mm. It is somebody that is a running back who isn't huge and runs like a four six or something instead of like a four four you would want and maybe doesn't have a huge NFL future, but they're good at football. Like Elijah Holyfield did not have enough straight line speed to make it in the NFL. Also very good at Georgia. He wasn't, you know, Nick Chubb or something, but he was a good football player. And And same with Edwards. Another great example of that is Lad McConkey. I mean, Lad, yeah. Lad McConkey. I mean, listen. Can we talk about Stetson Bennett yet? Uh, Lad McConkey, <laughs> Stetson Bennett. Listen, like Dan Walken basically wrote this column in USA Today. His headline was something like, "Georgia has mastered college football. Good luck to everybody else." And basically, the sort of the thesis of his column was, if you think it's just recruiting, it's not. Mm-hmm. He was like, yeah. "Look at the players that Georgia won the national championship with last year mm-hmm. and this year, mm-hmm. and you will see that a lot of the guys at the center of that were not necessarily five stars." He, he was like, "Yes, they have the recruiting rankings that you have to have, but he had this whole other like sort of set of points about look at the player development, like look yeah. at the roster management." You. He was like, "At least for right now, and, and hilarious, right? That at one time." Like player development was like a question about Kirby Smart. It, like it was not. It was not an actual question. It was a dumb statement. I take offense <laughs> right. to it ever being called a question because it was never a legitimate question, in my opinion. Because right. you had like an, Tay Crowder, an inherited two-star running back, who yeah. then became a good linebacker and an was NFL drafted. Linebacker. Yeah, you yeah. had uh, DeAndre Baker, who was like a three-star, a first-round pick at cornerback. Yeah, right. You had. J.R. Reed, a 
almost two-star transfer from Tulsa, mm-hmm. who was a good safety for Georgia. Yes. It, long is the list of guys that drastically outperform their rankings, both in their college performance and getting drafted. Christopher Smith, yeah. I know he was a four-star corner. Christopher Smith. Yeah, but he wasn't he, like a draftable four-star guy. He was a lowly ranked four-star guy. Yeah. And then unanimous All-American, I think. And, and you remember when he started playing a virtual account, we're all like, oh, gosh, like, y'all get the count back Christopher in there. Smith started the whole thing, right? The pick six against Clemson game one last year, like Christopher Smith started the run of the two year of the two year back to back championships and was and there gonna, just well, why every play like two years. Y'all seen Kirby out there doing the Michael Jordan one, two, three to the crowd, which is dangerous, but you know, have a little fun, I guess. Yep. And you know, y'all t- Scott, you had mentioned um some of the poor play calling by TCU. Can't say the same thing about Todd Munkin. Um, oh no. Good gosh. I saw so many wrinkles and stuff. Like, I really felt like at one point he was closing his eyes and just pointing to things on his play sheet and they were scoring touchdowns. Like, mm-hmm. it was nuts. And before I lose people completely, like, y'all, he added stuff that we have not done all year. One of the things that we have talked about for the last two years in this podcast is George's best running play is what, guys? Counter. Yeah, it's counter. So this is what he did. We, we talked about this. Georgia runs their counter two different ways. Typically the counter, you have two backside pullers, either a guard and a fullback or or H-back or a guard and tackle. So tackle's called counter tray, fullback's called counter G. We got into the formation to run our counter G scheme. What would happen is the guard would pull like it was counter. Brock Bowers would take two steps like he was also pulling then flip and run out to the flats. And he did it twice. And one of the times he caught it and got a huge run to catch a first down. And what that play does is those linebackers who are keying on the pools totally vacate the middle of the field and they're left with no one to cover Bowers. And I'm just like, dude, this is like three, this is like some serious 4D chess he's doing. Yeah. I mean, I've heard a lot of people talk about um, this third and 10 scramble that Stetson had, right? Where the guy blitzed off the edge and Stetson spun around and outran him to the first. So like on the surface, probably doesn't look like a masterful thing necessarily, but in the context of the rest of the game, all of the plays that Munkin called, like just the utter comfort and ease that Stetson operated the offense with all night long. Mm -hmm. You look at a play like that and it really, like when you watch it over again, it really does look like, Stetson knew like long before the snap exactly what was going to happen. Like he saw him walk up. He knew he was coming off the edge. He knew they were in man and that all he had to do. And like, he actually waited a a beat, right? Like Mm -hmm. he took the snap. He let him get to him, spun out, knew that he would run for the first down. It's not an explosive 60 yard touchdown by any means, but like, it's sort of a subtle example of just how it seemed like all night long Munkin and Stetson were just, I mean, they were just on another level. They they absolutely, it was it was a masterful performance. And to further explain to you why that's also a coaching thing, we deal with this with our quarterback this year. He's a, he started one game of sophomore year, broke his carbone. So essentially he was a first-year starter. And you actually teach quarterbacks to roll to the pressure. Like that's actually something that you have to coach because what our quarterback would always do is he would try to run away from the pressure and he would get chased down. Mm-hmm. So it's actually a coaching point where you teach kids roll towards the pressure with depth and then get your shoulder square again or take off scrambling. Actually, in the last game of the year, the kid did it for the first time all year and threw a 40-yard touchdown pass <laughs> that kept our season alive. Mm-hmm. But even that is a coaching point, like you said. And he was just – guys, he did so many things. Like we've done those sugar huddles all year, right? Yeah. The reason that they were different is because when you do the sugar huddles – against TCU and jump into that bunch formation, TCU's adjusters are their safeties. And so how that's different from a normal defense is when you jump into that bunch formation, you're usually going to bring down one safety and then use the outside linebacker to point to, to line over the point man. TCU doesn't have an outside linebacker, meaning you have to bring two safeties over to adjust that formation. So what we did is we jump into that bunch set, the safeties are looking, where's the Y, where's the Y, where's the Y? There he is, snap ball, outnumbered. And then there was a couple times TCU just lined up 
blatantly wrong. So the Stetson Bennett second touchdown, TCU has two guys to the boundary, or Georgia has three players to the boundary, and TCU has two safeties playing to the field over one receiver. So they have a corner and two safeties. over. They they basically end up with four over two on one side and one on three on the other side. You're talking about the second Stetson Bennett running touchdown? Yes. I mean, not only only did Stetson Bennett not get touched on that play, the lead blockers didn't have anyone to block. Yes. There were two lead blockers that couldn't find anybody to block. Yeah, guys looking for someone into the end zone and still not found anybody five yards deep. We doubled the defensive end and still had two guys free. Right. Yeah, right. And it was- it's almost it's almost like being able to play our twelve personnel and then go hurry up whenever there's a mismatch or advantage was a uh, really helpful all season long and was still helpful in the TCU game. But I just go say this to highlight like. Yeah, you, we've you all seen us do the sugar huddle, the 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 huddle and spread of the line, the quick snap. But like to get into those formations, knowing that TCU would be mm-hmm. adjusting with their safeties and would take a second snap. And I say this as a DB's coach, knowing when people go tempo and we're a defense that relies on on recognition and pre snap calls. I call the coverage based on the formation. You know, we call we call our front based on situations. I know how hard that is. And even if you have really experienced and smart safeties, what TCU does, it's just mm-hmm. hard. And I'm just telling you, y'all, it was like mastery-level offensive play calling. And I also wanted to highlight that bust by TCU to say, like, that was not a hard – the one that we scored the touchdown on, that was a gross misalignment where they had four guys over two to the field and one over three to the boundary. That's an example we talked about earlier. TCU pissed down their leg. Those are mistakes they have not made all year, and we – Punished them with them on the on the second touchdown. Our second touchdown, the the long pass down the seam to McConkey. Yeah, they score it. They go to commercial. They come back from commercial. They're showing a replay of it, and Herb Street is showing. And so we do the sugar huddle. Like we come out really quick, and Herb Street is almost incredulous in the tone of his voice, and he's talking about TCU's defense, and he says, "Look at their defense. They're not even lined up." Mm-hmm. He's like, "They come out of this huddle quickly, and." When they snap the ball, he's saying TCU's defense doesn't even know where they're supposed to be. I texted you, you, you guys at the end of that play that he the um, the guy out there over McConkey lets him go right by him to the end zone, mm-hmm. and I said if he doesn't, McIntosh walks in. If that guy picks McConkey and goes with him, McIntosh mm-hmm. is on a wheel route out at the exact same area, and he's completely wide open. But even um, that, they, even that, like so, that's Hodges Tomlinson, you know, one of the best corners in college football. Guys, there is no coverage in the history of football where you leave a vertical from the number one receiver to take a running back. That coverage does not exist. Like, I'm telling you, like, these guys were outside their gourds. Like, he's got a vertical by the number one receiver and lets him go. That coverage is not a real thing to take a running back. (laughs) There are very, very few coverages ever where a corner will take a running back releasing late. Mm-hmm. They do exist, but they're few and far between. And jo- and Jonathan, to what you're saying, it's just like these guys, like that's why I was like, these guys are really like, they are shell-shocked. Like this is not the TCU team we've seen. And here's the thing. Even when Skeen didn't win, we just beat them with better talent. So we catch two perfectly thrown, perfectly defended jump balls. One, one of them was defended with pass interference, if we're being honest. Uh, you're talking to DB's coach here. Uh, I, didn't I know, but, but A.D. Mitchell <laughs> caught the ball with one hand and the cornerback with the other. So it was like, <laughs> come on now. The one with Bowers was legitimately great coverage. Yes. And see, that's where you're looking at TCU. TCU's got to look at them like they're just better. Like we are Not that we didn't know that, but here we are playing perfect coverage, and they're just better. Like there, there's no defense for that. And then, again, Jonathan, you've got Stetson Bennett just smoking one of their linebackers to get a first down. Like That was that was a setup. That was a, a premeditated murder on that one. Because <laughs> like, I think they checked the protection knowing that that was going to be the free rusher. And so Stetson's got to like, know to get rid of the ball or make a miss. Yeah. And then you had 
Brock Bowers getting matched up on a wheel route with those inside back with those linebackers. And what do we say about their linebackers? What do they not do well? <laughs> run like Brock Bowers. They, they don't, don't run do like well, <laughs> there ain't many people in the country that can run like Brock Bowers, but yeah, you had the the um the I think it was the weak side in the weak side linebacker was responsible for no, excuse me, the strong side linebacker was responsible for Bowers on the wheel route. He's half a step late, and it wouldn't mm-hmm. have mattered if he was hip to hip with him. Bowers was gonna smoke him. And you just like I almost looked at that guy trying to run Bowers and laughed. I was like, you know, I know that's how you have to cover it, but mm-hmm. um, this is one of the reasons that in high school we don't have inside backers running with tight ends down the scene because they're not great mm-hmm. athletes in high school. The we problem have- is all of their linebackers are inside linebackers. Right. That's what they are. They don't have an outside. They're they're all true inside backers. They're all 240 thumpers. Yep. Um, so um one random thing that I did see that was interesting and uh Made me think, oh, I kind of hope the Falcons draft that guy. Um, is it 98, Horton? Isn't that their edge guy that leads the team? Yeah, in sacks. He's got like 10 sacks in the last like five games. Yeah, yeah. He's a pretty good player, and he's a, he's a pretty big dude. And uh, there was definitely one time where he made a tackle, I think, on Brock Bowers, like oh, yeah, 30 he, yards down yeah. the field. And that oh, was I like – yeah, it was kind of near like the right sideline. I mean, it was after, you know, a one or two other missed tackles or failed attempts or something. It wasn't like he just like chase him down, chase him down. But it was definitely one of those things where I was like, oh, it's a, you know, 6'5", 280-pound pass rush dude, like, you know, busting it down the field, making these tackles. And this is when they're down like four or five touchdowns. This yeah. game is over. Um I think we probably expected to see a little bit more of that out of the TCU team as a whole, like a little more of like, oh, this is going wrong, but we're still going to do our assignments and we're still going to hustle. I didn't see as much. I didn't see a whole lot of physical quit in the first half. Mm -hmm. But like you said, there was a lot of mental, maybe not quit, but sort of, I don't know. Mental trauma, I guess, if you will, at that point. And another example, the last touchdown, Lad McConkey, I think it was a Bud Clark, which one of the one of the safeties, he doesn't know the ball's thrown. Mm-mm. And you see, that's the one where Sonny Dykes just goes, yeah, he's wow. just playing, he's just playing catch up the whole time, right? But he's running, he's not that far out of phase from McConkey. <laughs> he's he jogging. Just, he just stops and jogs, and McConkey gets the ball. Like it was like he didn't know the play was still going. Like he thought the quarterback had been tackled. And again, I'm just sharing all the things to say, like. This was a bizarre game in many ways. It was. TCU was overmatched. They played poorly, but they did some weird, bizarre mm-hmm. things. And like you said, the, I like the words you used there, Scott. There was some mental trauma that occurred to them in this game. <laughs> um, and, I mean, y'all, look at this. We outgained them by 401 yards, 589 to 188. They had nine first downs. We had 32. I mean, the Wait, bright they spots. Had, they had nine first downs, and we had nine touchdowns? They had <laughs> that that's correct. They had nine first downs and we had nine touchdowns. And I'll be honest, the first half, if you had told me TCU had three turnovers, we had none in the first half, I could have told you the halftime score. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, mm-hmm. I might have said close to or yeah. close to it. I don't know if I would have said 30. I said it's probably 27 to 7 or 27. Yeah, probably 27 to 7 at halftime. They yeah, or 34 like 10 or whatever yeah. score you come up with in that scenario, it's bad. It's and then bad. the game script in the second half is like sorry good luck not gonna happen because then you but, just get to rush the passer but and the bright spot demarcado was 14 to 59 and he was actually effective we, we struggled a little bit with him they were hurting us with their duo scheme and the duo is similar to inside zone you get two double teams and you run opposite the double teams so it's a play i've been learning about but they ran duo mm-hmm. were hurting us with it now was it split zone or was it duo because this is a fun argument amongst people so <laughs> In duo, you get a single block by the tight end on the backside defensive end. If it's split zone, the tight end crosses the formation. So inside zone and duo look alike. Duo and split zone do not. So I will I will die on that hill because I've been spending a whole lot of time researching this one <laughs> lately. Because talking to that guy in my uh, basketball team that's an analyst, he was talking about how um, Ohio State runs a lot of duo, and I was like, excuse me? I, what is duo? Well, it's a gap scheme, but it's like inside the – okay, I got to go. I got to go. Yeah, so online, this causes a lot of arguments because people will snapshot just the offensive linemen and talk about how somebody was running duo or how somebody was running like split zone. But all you see is like the offensive linemen 
that's not double teams. Yeah. Yeah. You could, yeah. You, so both, causes, both have two doubles. Of, exactly. Yeah. So people get mad and start fights over it. It's very so fun. For the nerdy guys like Chris Wheeler who are listening to this, the biggest thing about duo is the path to the back. The path of the back will always go opposite the double teams in duo. On inside zone, it could go opposite the double teams, but it's designed to go opposite the double teams in duo. It is actually like a B to C gap, gap scheme run play. And that's the biggest difference. So LSU, 2019 LSU ran a lot, a lot of duo. And yeah, in the first quarter, like you said, and some in the first half, there was definitely some times where they had some like hard physical yards mm-hmm. and they yeah. had, you know, good. after the big uh, coverage bust and big pass play, they had one good run up the middle and they followed it up with a good, you know, quarterback kind of power looking run game there. Had the game not gotten out of hand, there is a chance they could have had some success running yeah. the ball just yeah. based on that early sample size. Now, maybe it, maybe we see them run duo a couple times and are like, well, screw this noise. Like, we're going to, you know, do this to counter that. And maybe that's all there was. But there was a chance they could have run the ball, you know, and that's why when it was 17-7 or something like this, even though it felt like we were going to score a whole bunch there was sort of a path, right, for how they could score because you had seen some run game that might be sustainable. And you combine that with throwing some shots and hitting some shots, there there was a path for it to be a game still. But And the fact that Quentin, Quentin Johnson was held to one catch for three yards is the fall mm-hmm. of the OC. You have to force the ball to a guy that good. And we talked about this. He is nowhere close to Marvin Harrison. It's not even the same stratosphere, but – I'm throwing – he's getting at least eight targets. We're going down swinging. Now, having said that, let's transition here. What does this mean for UGA? Where do we belong now in the larger college football landscape? And before we all answer this, I want to remind people of what happened back in 2018. Clemson beats Alabama for the second time in, what was it, three years in the national championship. Clemson goes on to play for four national championships in – Five years, isn't that correct? Wins two. And after they bludgeon an Alabama team that people were saying would beat NFL teams, that's the two or rugs, Judy Waddle. Yeah, we don't even talk, talk about how stupid that was. Um, no college team will ever come within two touchdowns of a pro team ever. We know that. But um, but that was supposed to be the unbeatable Alabama team. And Clemson, what beats them by 28, wasn't it? Leads the entire game. Right. Yeah. And I remember after that, people saying, I think Nick Saban's time on the top of the mountain is done. This is the era of Clemson football. Trevor Lawrence was a freshman. Trevor right? Lawrence was like, a freshman. This is, is going to go on forever. Yeah. Uh, Justin Ross, the freshman. Nick Saban goes on to play for two of the next three national championships and wins one. This is not the same. And Scott, I know you pointed out some of the reasons it's not, but it feels a little bit like that to me. Where people are like are are loving on Georgia, we're the flavor of the week, and it's not as if Georgia hasn't been here. We almost won in seventeen. I mean, it really should be our third national championship in the last five years. We know that, but I remember oh, Kirby I, Kirby screaming that they should be calling cover four when he switched over to the defensive line, but it was too late, and they'd called cover two and lost it for us. We're not going to talk I, about that game today. I love hearing that story though because I I'm sitting there at home. I'm like, why are we in cover two? Like when we after the after the game when you know Mel's like we're in cover two. I'm like. Why are we in cover two? Why wouldn't you play a safer coverage? Anyways, yeah, that still stinks. But right now, Georgia is sitting on top of the mountain. You could even say Georgia is the premier program today. Has Georgia supplanted Bama? I am one to say no because six and six and fifteen years, no, six and thirteen years. <laughs> that is one of the best runs in college sports history. Like that's like. Not quite like John Wooden UCLA good, but for college football, I don't think that'll ever be matched. And I think it's going to be even harder because with the transfer portal and I own all the things that are that are required to manage a program now. Well, I think Georgia is probably going to make the playoffs every year from now until Kirby dies or retires. Winning it that many times is so difficult. Now, having said that, would I rather be Georgia or Emma right now? Without question, I'd rather be Georgia. Be, yeah, that kind of feels, stuff's hard. Is it is it backwards looking? Is it forwards looking? Is it just right now? Right now. Yeah. Jay. Yeah. It it feels more like 2012 Bama than it does 2018 Clemson or 2019 LSU. Hmm. 
I, to me. Yeah, I agree. And one of the main reasons is, and listen, obviously, I am the biggest Stetson Bennett fan in the world. <laughs> but one of the reasons is, right, Stetson Bennett at this point feels like the Greg McElroy, A.J. McCarron stage of Alabama where Nick Saban mm. was so good, Alabama's mm. talent was so good, they could dominate everybody even by getting, you know, sort of a diamond in the rough quarterback. Stetson Bennett is much more of that really than Greg McElroy or A.J. McCarron was. But after that, when Alabama got to the mountaintop, then not only were they on the mountaintop, they then got their pick literally of skill players. Right. So they added to their already incredible, you know, player development and line of scrimmage recruitment and all of that. They added blue chip quarterbacks, blue chip receivers where, you know, now, I mean, that's, that's going to be the phase that Georgia is in. Now we're going to find out if those guys are ultimately as successful mm-hmm. as Stetson, the mailman Bennett or not, but now it, it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be the same machine, except you're probably also going to have quarterbacks and receivers that are a level of talent that is actually like probably significantly improved from last year's team and this year's team, which is scary but is exactly the thing that Alabama did in the 2000s. Except we're kind of already at that overall just elite talent level uh, as a program, right? But when you get to the top like this, it's not just all about talent. Like there's just a few teams that have the premier level talent, but it's also then it starts to be about the culture and all the other things that – can be very hard to quantify and right, that's true. when you win people say they're good and when you lose people say they're bad mm-hmm. and it's like was culture the difference between ohio state and georgia in that game Mm-mm. i not really like you know i think players and coaches have kind of said that you know it seemed like they thought ohio state did a better job in prepping and getting ready for that game than we did and that you know we didn't have our best effort i think the culture of the program is very very good however you can still lose games to other really good teams right so but um david to your point if you want to go back the last seven years which is how long kirby has been at georgia uh two titles for georgia two for alabama, alabama. two for mm-hmm. clemson mm-hmm. one for lsu yep. yep so i think there's definitely an argument to be, and that's just, you know, uh, how do you pick how many years to go back when you count what's the current dynasty? I have no clue. That's one way of doing it. Um, if you do it that way, Georgia probably gets the tiebreaker for obviously having the two most recent ones in that scenario. And having, yeah. And, and, and very well could have had a third, but other teams on this list like Bama and Clemson could have probably conceivably had a third with another break I mean, or bounce. Yeah. But, and that, that's 100% true. And, like you mentioned the the culture, I just I just before this podcast watched an interview with Brock Nation from Dog Nation, Brock Vandergriff from Dog Nation, where he straight up says the reason I didn't transfer is because of the coaching I'm getting. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? What he said, he said if I wasn't getting the kind of coaching I'm getting, because he basically just gushed about Todd Monken. He's like, if I didn't feel like I was getting better, I would be gone already. He said, but I'm getting such good coaching. And I know whenever I get my shot, and he said, whether it's here or someone else, I know I'll be ready. He said, I talked mm-hmm. about that with my dad. Like, I don't, I can go somewhere and play right now and may not be, maybe not be prepared, or I can be prepared for that moment. And he said, like, M- Todd Munkin is going to have me prepared to play quarterback in college football when it's my time. And to hear that was like, when you have a quarterback of all people saying, yeah, I could probably play somewhere else, but I know the coaching here is better. It sounds very similar to, oh, wait, Jalen Hurts at Alabama. Who says mm-hmm. I'm getting great coaching here? When it's my turn, I'm going to be good. And he goes and almost wins the Heisman in Oklahoma, and had a shot to win an NFL MVP this year if he doesn't get hurt. And that stuff matters. Alabama had a room with three Heisman Trophy finalist quarterbacks, three in the same room, and kept two of them. Actually, kept kept three of them for two years. That's the mark of a great program. Georgia's doing the same right now. Those people are staying. And you know you're always going to lose some guys. You're all, you always are. And they end up losing Jalen Hurts, but right now those guys are staying, and that's a really good sign. And what also gives us hope for the future is, 
Um, you remember those few true freshmen y'all mentioned? <laughs> yeah, they were true they freshmen. They got two more years, including the sophomore tight end who might be, you know, one of the five best college football players in the country, is back. If Carson Beck is David Green, even, we might win another one next year. <laughs> yeah, it, it'll certainly be interesting to see what we get out of quarterback next year. And I'm sure that's something we can, we'll probably talk a lot about in the offseason or at other points. Um, I, I do think, David, to your point about Vandegriff and coaching, the way that dynasties rise and fall, mm-hmm. a lot of this. times, yeah, is attrition. about attrition in mm-hmm. the coaching staff. So, like, when you yes. say, like, is Georgia the premier dynasty right now? Well, it's like, well, for last year and this year, yes. For the next two, three, five years, maybe, probably. But also, before I have a real answer for that, you got to tell me, how long Munkin stays being an offensive coordinator? Mm-hmm. You know, you look at Clemson where they were. Well, Trevor Lawrence won it as a freshman, and then his numbers got worse as a sophomore and worse as a junior. Mm-hmm. And then he is the number one pick still, and now he's good in the NFL. I don't think he got worse those two years. I think their offensive coaching and scheme was kind of falling off a bit. That guy still got hired to be a head coach somewhere. He and did. took a good offense and immediately tanked it the first year it was he was there. Horrible at Arkansas. <laughs> but Chad and, and, Morris, then you, and then you lose Venables as well, too, correct. right? Correct. And and that's somebody that's a very obvious. So and you look at Alabama, their coordinators right now, not the best coordinators they've had in the Nick Saban tenure. I don't think either of those guys are necessarily bad per se. Mm-mm. But uh if you put Munkin on that. If you put Munkin and Muschamp as the coordinators for Bama and gave us Bama's coordinators, who wins the title this year? Uh, But but considering the talent is even. Yeah. I mean, yeah, probably Alabama. And and you mentioned that Clemson, we talked about this a little bit, but like you lose Chad Morris, replaced with Tony Elliott, who there's not much drop off. Mm -hmm. Tony Elliott and your offense is broken. And I don't. I will never know if DG Uyungle was a miss. Would have been good, yeah. Or if he would have been good with a different coach in place. But either whether it be from a coordinator miss or a quarterback miss, it only takes one of those to break your dynasty. And I say break your dynasty. That means that Clemson is now the seventh best team in college football instead of one of the two best teams in college football. Yeah, That's and there's still just one, you know – Club Nick breakout season away from being right back. Being right back. You yeah. got, I mean, you, you got Mike Bobo on the staff as an analyst, like <laughs> just, just sort of like chipping in, right? And like, like, like trying to be hired as offensive coordinator at Mississippi State. You got Buster Faulkner, who probably most people have never heard of, also an analyst, now the offensive coordinator well, at, at, at Georgia Tech. And I mean, what we're just saying about Schumann and Muschamp. You had him as an acting offensive coordinator choose to leave his job and come be an analyst yeah. at Georgia. Yeah. I mean, you've got, I mean, I, I think uh, maybe it was Kirby Smart was telling a story about um, basically getting ready for the TCU game, uh, having the scout team get prepared uh, to play the three, three, five. And Kirby Smart was basically like, he basically told the scout team, like, I need y'all to run the three, three, five better than TCU does. And frankly, they did. <laughs> like mm. they had, like we mm. had enough talent. We had enough coaches yeah. to literally like master the three, three, five in like a week of practices. And, and one of the things that's a little bit unique, you have a lot of guys on the coaching staff that are Georgia alums. Yeah. Like they played football at Georgia. Mm. And most of the times when we've had these big dynasty runs, teams that win multiple championships, whatever time frame, very good coaching staffs, of course, not usually littered with a whole lot of guys that are alums. So it's Good like point. Kirby not going anywhere. So you're not going to have head coaching turnover. You're probably not going to have turnover from Muschamp. Like I don't think Muschamp is going to want to go be a head coach. I mean, but if he it does, could happen. Schumann. Yeah. Schumann's it, not going anywhere. Uh, for a couple more years. And yeah, then he'll be off years. for like for real, for real. Yeah. But, you know, Muschamp is less likely to leave than – a defensive coordinator at another school that's winning a whole lot yeah. in a similar position, right? You know, uh, McClendon, right? You got Bobo. You got you got lots of guys involved in the program that are Georgia guys. You have lots of guys like Jonas Jennings, who's like 
yeah. player player yeah. personnel, mm-hmm. like very important roles. Um, Gant, who I think also played at Georgia, but it's just been at Georgia for so long. I can't Jarvis remember. Jarvis Jones is back on staff too. Yeah. Yeah. So you got lots and lots of guys with ties to the program, which should probably help some of that continuity, I would think. And, you know, it's, I mean, it might be hard to sort of quantify now, like what a national championship means. I think because everybody gets compared to Saban. So yeah. it's mm-hmm. like, if you don't have six or seven, like you must not be that good. But like, I mean, apart from Nick, I mean, right. Kirby Smart now has twice as many national championships as Steve Spurrier. Right. Uh, like, this I mean, like, is a but, shame, ain't it? Right. Like, I mean, you know, he's, if he gets one more, which as David was saying, if not for second and 26, I mean, this very well could have been his third yeah. in six years. You know, if he gets one more, he's got the same number as Urban Meyer. I yeah. mean, that like, mm-hmm. I mean, like that's the company he's in. Like he's already there, basically. Um, it's just that if, if you if you want to be the next Alabama, if you want to be Nick Saban, you got to talk about how many years before you win number five, number six. But hey, that's the other thing, right? Kirby Smart is, what is he, 47 years old? 47. Something? 47. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So we can't end this conversation about legacies without talking. Jonathan's got his hands up, y'all. Without talking about the man himself, the goat, the goat, the fourth, the mailman. <laughs> I think, I think at the end of the game, we were all sending goat gifts to each other. <laughs> I know I did. I was oh, sending yeah. people. No, Jay did. Um, there's, there's, here, here's where we are. Michael here's George where we are with Stetson Bennett. The, the quarterback, the quarterback Rushmore conversation is not even a conversation. No, anymore. it's he's the goat. He's the goat quarterback. He, it's not even he, a question. He, he absolutely blew that out of the water such that. Now, legitimately, like these are the questions about Stetson Bennett. And I don't even know that I have the answer to them, but these are the questions. Yeah. Is he the greatest Georgia player ever? Like you now have to talk mm. about is it Stetson Bennett or is it Herschel Walker? Yep. Should 13 be retired? Should there be a statue? Like these these, these are the questions. <laughs> now, honestly, they're all fair. You, y'all know, you need a statue of Kirby chewing out Stetson. <laughs> That's what you need. Like, y'all know how big of a Stetson Bennett fan and I and only that's only like half a bit. I mean, I, part of it is, yeah. is me having fun, but truly I do love me some Stetson Bennett, but probably, I mean, I, I might be a no on all of those. Like, like as much as I love right, him, right. I'm, I'm not sure I would say he is a greater football player, like in terms of greatness, in terms of talent, I mean, even success. I mean, the Heisman trophy. Anyway, I'm not even sure I would say, I'm not sure I would say he's greater than Herschel Walker. At this point, I don't think I would retire 13. I probably wouldn't be on the where do we put the statue committee. Um, but I will say, like, all three of those are questions. And, like, anybody that's on the other side of those, I get it. He, like, he he was that great. And, again, you said something. The the quarterback, Mount Rushmore debate, we touched on the beginning of the season, and we said maybe it's a slam dunk. Okay. Because you've got the other UGA quarterbacks, Matt Stafford, Hudson Mason, coming out saying, this is, it's, it's Stetson's to go. It's not even a question. I mean, like. I think Buck Blue said it too. Even one of the old heads he said, "Yep, yeah, Stetson's well, the go." Yeah, Buck Blue wasn't actually that good at quarterback. So. He wasn't. He's probably a better baseball player. And here's and here here's the thing about about Stetson Bennett. It for me for me it was always about the results. Yeah. Like he and I mean it's you just add the story on top of the results. Right. And and that's what, that's what just completely makes it different than any other quarterback story. I mean, certainly in the history of our favorite university, but almost any, Um, but he, again, I mean, we can return to this. Like when we started him against UAB last year, like I was so mad. Like I, I didn't want him to be the starting quarterback because I had not yet seen the results starting with that UAB game. Like he just produced, like, look at the black and white numbers. He was outstanding. And I, I think I said this at the beginning of this season. I said, you know, he, he was so good last year. If he's at least that good this year, there is no quarterback controversy. If he's better than that right. this year, I mean, he, he is going to be the greatest quarterback in the history of Georgia football. And he was, he was better. He, he broke the Georgia single season passing record this year. Mm-hmm. He's the only Georgia quarterback to ever throw for 4,000 yards. Yep. Yeah, it's it's good that he was better this year because we needed him to be we better. Did. We did because you know last year he wasn't bad last year, but also last year he wasn't asked to do nearly as much, mm-hmm. and he had a lot more you know kind of interceptable passes. 
as a percentage. Now, yes, so, yes. <clears throat> so less was asked of him, and he wasn't as good at doing the smaller part. This year, more was asked of him, and he was better on a play-by-play basis. So I, you know, this year was a big step forward, and I think how good he was as a quarterback. And Stetson's final numbers on the season, uh, I believe he had nine rushing touchdowns, so 36 total touchdowns. Last year he had 31, seven interceptions. Um, The last two years combined, let me do it that way. He's 11 yards away from 7,000 in the last two years combined, so 6,989 yards total. 56 total passing touchdowns, 14 total interceptions. Um, So that's the last two years combined. So, Jonathan, you said it's the production with the results. Well, he's averaged 3,500 yards a season for the last two years. He's the best single-season passing yardage total in school history. Pretty close to the school's all-time completion percentage. I have to see where it ranks. I know it's in the top five, if not the top two, 68%. So, like you said, it's not just the former walk-on Jones County story that we want to vomit because we've heard so many times. It's this guy was actually good at college football and watching the college football playoffs completely justified his seat at the Heisman table as he outplayed two Heisman trophy finalists. He did objectively. He did. Now you can say TJ, CJ Stroud played as well as him. I get it, but Stetson let us see him in the game winning drive. And people, I want to address this because people ask me pro prospects. And my response was, when people say, why can't he play in the pros? I said, well, evaluations from him are all over the map. He's 5'11". Yes, he is. I stood next to him at Sauce House, y'all. He's actually taller than me, and I'm a legit 5'10". He's 5'11". He's got good accuracy. He's a way above average athlete. He's probably going to go run in a low 4'6 at the combine, which is going to shock a lot of people. He might even touch 4'5". He's, he's, he can move. But he also is tiny. He's a small-framed guy. He's not Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson at that same height who are 210 pounds. He has average arm strength. He played with the – he had the advantage of playing with superior talent to most teams he saw, played behind a great offensive line, and played with one of the best play callers in college football that schemed open easy throws for him, which inflated his completion percentage, which is true. Look at how many short throws he threw this year. And schemed open a lot of wide-open shots on his deep throws. I'm I'm, I'm uncomfortable with this conversation. Those are the this two sides. Ma- <laughs> this is making me uncomfortable. <laughs> and so for me, here's my here's my counter to this. First of all, Anthony Brown is starting a playoff game this week for the Baltimore Ravens. Stetson Bennett can play in the NFL. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, Hendon Hooker is also 25, and that offense is very, very, very quarterback, quarterback friendly. friendly. Yeah. And he's still an NFL draft prospect, too. Now, that being said... They run two routes that offense. It's like slant yeah. and go route. And, you know, I love the complaints when we beat Tennessee. People were like, oh, well, he just was missing throws. He normally hits. And I'm like, no, he normally just is 5 of 12 on, like, chucking <laughs> balls yeah. way, way down the field. But the five and touchdowns. This, yeah. And this time he just was, like, 0 for 3 because we just didn't let him get any of them. Not to say that Hooker isn't a good college quarterback he was he was a lot of fun to watch and not to say he shouldn't be drafted he should be drafted teams need quarterbacks like it's worth just taking a quarterback and see if he develops you know Stetson is I don't know the kind of quarterback that would have that would I I say the kind of quarterback the kind of quarterback that would do well in like a Shanahan McVay system yes those are also all quarterbacks yeah all quarterbacks that's why I started laughing but let me but let me ask you this What's so different between Bryce Young's game and Stetson Bennett's game? Bryce Young uses his feet to make big plays in the passing game. Stetson doesn't really quite do that as much. And that's the way you sort of unlock the indefensible big plays. The same way that like Stroud, who normally doesn't do that, did that against us. And it's like, what are you going to do on defense? When you got to cover for seven seconds because your quarterback scrambled around a whole bunch and now somebody's open for 40 yards. Now, don't get me wrong. Bryce Young is a magician. Yeah. But if you're talking about like, like measurables, frame and yeah. all this kind of stuff, tangibles, it's, yeah, it's arm talent, very, very comparable. Production, pretty comparable 
like it's, but this year in that case you get a big advantage on the age where it's like hey one of these guys is 21, 21 one of these guys 25. is 25 so but like, does age matter for quarterbacks it does it, it does i mean I, it still does it's it's a great point it's it's a lot closer than people think yeah. i mean ultimately the difference is the arm talent i, I mean bryce young just has he just got some rpms that he does he does that, that, uh, that no almost nobody has but you're right it is way closer than than most people think. You know, sort of a comp I've heard, especially again, just in the last couple of days, after people are just such in awe about what we just did at the national championship game. I've heard people say like Chase Daniel, right? That's not like bad. why like why why couldn't Stetson Bennett be Chase Daniel if that's if that's what he wants? And mm-hmm. you know, I listen, you could see that. Better comp is Doug Flutie. I know that's old school. Doug Flutie, sure. But if you want to get a truly better comp for how he plays, it's, it's Doug Flutie. He does the kind of things that Flutie did. Um, he doesn't quite have the same cannon that Flutie had, like shockingly cannon yeah, for yeah. that size. Like but being 5'10". But, yeah. like, but Stetson Bennett's arm strength is vastly over underrated. I would be so, I, I'm interested to see what velocity he throws with at the combine. Because mm-hmm. he makes he made a couple throws. He made a throw in the game. It was from like across the field, far hash. And I was like, dang. Yeah, the one that, McCockey, far that, hash. Well, and Pylon, I was like, ooh, oh, man. Yeah, the, the thing with Stetson is not that he can't sling it. It's that he has to really have his feet set and his mechanics right to sling it. That's fair. Um, you know, and so I think some guys like Bryce Young or CJ Stroud are a little better at slinging it off platform. That's fair. Um, and, and you have to remember this too. You're talking about in a draft, you're going to have maybe 10 quarterbacks selected total. So it's gonna yeah, be this, not many guys. It's yeah. not many. Of any non-specialist position, you're going to have the fewest guys drafted. And if you're a team and you're taking a flyer and a guy, are you going to take a flyer and a guy that's got a bazooka arm and is six foot three and is an athlete or a guy that's 5'11 and may not have the physical tools to execute your offense? Like Stetson Bennett would not be great in a in the Tampa Bay offense where they're throwing the ball vertical every five plays. He's probably going to throw 25 interceptions in that offense. No, he's gonna hit. He's gonna hit the magic Jameis, the thirty for thirty. <laughs> yeah, Stetson <laughs> might go 30, 30 in that offense. He really might. Like you said, get him in even like a, even in like what the Falcons run with the Arthur Smith McVay, bootleg heavy play action offense. He could kill an offense like that. I, I don't think Arthur Smith is open to small quarterbacks at all. Just my opinion. I, I would agree with that. All I mean, what what is Mariota? Is he six one or six two? I don't remember. I thought he was kind of like maybe even six three. He might be six he's three. He's kind of like sneaky big. I think him and I think he is six three. Him and Ritter, I think, are about the same size, roughly. But we know that Arthur Smith just likes monstrously huge players. But Tom mm-hmm. McVay would not. Uh, Sean McVay would not at all be afraid of 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 using a small quarterback. But and here's here's kind of what what we're getting at. Stetson Bennett's projection in the NFL is going to be a matter of fit. It is. He can't go anywhere and be great. Bryce Young can go to any scheme and be great. And that is true. And that is a difference. As much as we love Stetson. Like, I hope the Falcons draft and be the backup quarterback next year. I will buy a number 13 jersey. I don't own a Falcons jersey. I have not owned a Falcons jersey in years. But I would. And it's so much easier to project a guy like Stetson Bennett. Not Stetson Bennett, excuse me. Like, um, project a guy like Bryce Young to any system. CJ Stroud, I don't think, is a quarterback that transcends systems. I think there are certain systems that he's much a better of a fit in. And that's these things you're looking at. Three predictions, lightning round. Better NFL career, Stetson Bennett or Jake Fromm? Stetson, Ooh, Bennett? Stetson Bennett? I don't know. I, I, is Fromm he, currently on a team? In this case, is. it's just which guy collects a check for more years but doesn't play. Stetson is better NFL career. Stetson Bennett or Jacob Eason? I think Eason's I always going to have a spot in the league. I don't remember what Jacob Eason's current status level is. <laughs> he might have been uh, last the last one, time Beals, I saw he was on a practice squad. He's going to have a better career. Last one, better NFL career. Stetson Bennett or Aaron Murray? Oh, Stet. He's not going to go in with the torn ACL. That that sunk Aaron Murray's career from the get from the, from the mm-hmm. jump. Ooh, those that, that was good, going, Jay. You're not going Stetson versus right? Justin Fields. He didn't end up here. <laughs> That's true. Well, all right, guys. Dog Nation, I hope you've enjoyed this, our final podcast for about a month until we do a recruiting roundup uh, in February. And then a month later, you'll hear from me after I go, hopefully, to UGA football practice again. 
for spring. And I'm hoping to be able to do that again. If they allow us to, I will pay the money and go because it is like football porn for coaches. So <laughs> it's like the best and they feed us really well. Well, even give us booze, even though I don't drink. Um, guys, what a great season. At the beginning of the year, we said that we we could possibly be in the running for the national championship. About a fourth of the way through the season, we said we thought we would be. And here we are. Best team in school history by record. First team to win 15 games. Or 14 and games, for that matter. Is it fair to say prohibitive favorites to three-peat? <laughs> We are the betting favorites right the betting now, favorite. but yeah. also team rosters are nowhere near set for next That's season. That's true also. Nowhere near set. So, like, yeah. who's going pro, who's transferring, like, who's the quarterback at Alabama next year? Right. Not a clue. So. Well, guys, for the final time for the 2022 season, let's sign off. Scott, tell the people adios. Repeat. <laughs> and Dr. J, tell the people adios. Stetson, you have a statue in my heart. <laughs> this has been David Thay for the Todd Run Sports Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.